I want to continue with you this morning in our series at looking at King David as the role model. And we've looked at various aspects of him as him as a shepherd, him as a warrior, you know, of how he made God his rock and fortress and, and so forth. And now we're going to take the moment to look at one of the more challenging areas of his life, right? And we can kind of think of the most challenging uh, aspect of, you know, because we can think of David as a man after God's own heart, um, yet he also, also suffered the severe consequences of sin in his life. And, you know, you can't really think of the story of David without thinking of Bathsheba, because it was a major portion. Um, and then, the, you know, of course, in the story, it wasn't just his relationship with Bathsheba, it was the murder of Uriah, the husband, you know, which was, you know, so David committed some grave transgressions. In, in fact, by the, according to the law, he was worthy of death. He should have been put to death on, on multiple accounts. Um, and so he came to a pretty low place. But in that low place, he was able to meet with God and find repentance and restoration and be raised up again. And I was kind of thinking about David, the man after God's own heart. And we, we say he's a man who followed God all of his ways. And sometimes you're like, but what about David and Bathsheba? How would he follow God in that? Well, I think, I think it's clear he did not follow God into that trap, but he followed God out of it. And so that's how we can say he's a man who followed God. You know, he, he fell into a trap, into a pit, and that's, that's our nature. We're inclined towards that. But what made the difference in him is he followed God out of it. And that's kind of what I want to look at, the concept of how he followed God out of this pit and this trap and how that, in that instance, he's our role model, right? Because he's human and he made those terrible mistakes and we can read his life and avoid those mistakes. It's not that we look at him as a role model. We can make mistakes and then get out of it because many people have done that and not gotten out. And so, but we can look at that David as a role model for how we can overcome. But his life is still a bit of an enigma in that because his transgressions were so grave, right? When you think about... Uh, you know, people who have committed even just a small portion of some of the things David did and they don't make it. They don't continue on. They kind of give up or, or something. I, I've often considered Saul, King Saul, and how some of his mistakes and, and his failings, they were severe, but in a sense, they didn't really, they, they kind of didn't quite compare to what David did. Yet Saul fell and David rose again. To, to become great in God and, and receive promises and blessings and so forth. Um, you know, and we'll look at some of the things that David became restored to or mentioned them later on. But I, I wanted to consider why was David, you know, in this area in his life, he, he, he wasn't kept by God. He wasn't preserved. In every other area he was. Yet in this one area, he fell. And I want to consider uh, what it says about him in 2 Samuel chapter 8 and verse 14. And this is kind of speaking of every other area in his life. And so here's 
a situation where David was defeating his enemies. He said he put garrisons in Edom. Throughout all Edom, he put garrisons. Uh, they became his servants. And the Lord preserved David wherever he went. It's like, you know, whatever enemy he fought, he obtained the victory. And we've looked in the past how he obtained his the battle plan from the Lord. And as long as he was seeking God and following him, he just, he got victory after victory. You know, he obtained uh, Jerusalem. He defeated the Jebusites. He just, he, he was made king of Judah, then of all of Israel. Victory after victory. He preserved David when he was hunted by Saul. And he was, God preserved and blessed David in all things, except this one area that we mentioned. Um, and we mentioned this, I can't remember if it was last week or previously, but there's a, a, a law or several laws that the Lord wrote for kings to follow. And that was in Deuteronomy 17 and verse 17. One of them was that the king shall not multiply wives to himself, that his heart won't be turned away. And if there's something we know about David, he kind of had a lot of wives. And his heart became affected by that. And so in this area, David did not obey. It was like he was preserved in every other area except this one that he did not give to the Lord. He didn't submit it to God and he didn't obey. And it became almost like an open door in his life that the enemy could get to him. And if there's something we can learn in this, because we want to say, well, how do, how do we learn from this? How is he our role model? If King David, a man after God's own heart, had one open door, and this was the effect in his life, then, then we need to be careful of our own lives, of what doors we can open and, you know, through maybe an area where we haven't submitted to God in something. You know, we're... We're not immune to that kind of danger. It can happen to the best of us because it happened to King David. And so we must be so careful to examine our hearts and constantly come to the Lord. Lord, show me. Lord, help me to submit to you in this area. Bring me into the light that there's no darkness. Nothing I'm trying to hide anyway. You know, sometimes I think God is, I think about current events. I don't like to touch current events or get into it, but sometimes I think God is orchestrating some of the events in our country to just reveal what is in the hearts of people and people's reaction. You know, you see how people reacting to things like politics and, and everything. And, uh, you know, the, all of the sicknesses, maybe vaccines or mask mandates, or, you know, I've been amazed at the reaction of some Christians in that of how it's divided people in there and how they've responded. But it's as if God is testing hearts. He's testing reactions. How do we, will we react? You know, what is our trust in? Where, what are we afraid of? What are we placing our hope in? How are we reacting to limitations and things put upon us? And does our reaction, and here's where it really matters, does our reaction reflect Christ? the reaction Christ would have to it. Now, I have to confess, even in, uh, even in my own heart, when I hear or read, I have to put a mask on, something rises up in me because I don't like wearing masks. Uh, 
And I have to examine myself. Is that Christ rising up in me? <laughs> or is it something else? <laughs> you know? But these are the times we're living in. And if we're having trouble now, we can know it's only going to increase. It's only going to get more intense in the days to come. And so we have to realize God is testing hearts. God is revealing things that maybe we're, we didn't even know about. They were hidden in our hearts until something happened. We, oh, we react to that. And we have to examine, Lord, are you showing me something that was in my heart? Is there a door of influence that might allow me to be moved as David was moved? And, you know, it's something we have to take notice of and take seriously because King David, he did not address that area. Now, he, it happened, it went to the extreme in his life, but that is the danger of open doors and areas in our hearts that aren't submitted to God. But it became a big problem with David. Uh, and the result was David came to a place where he saw something he couldn't have, Bathsheba, but he took it anyway. And in the process, he committed murder and adultery and all that bad stuff that came from it. And so David did these things. We know the story. He tried to hide it. And if you kind of read between the lines, he, he probably hid it for months because that baby was almost ready to be born, it seems, around the time of, of uh, God addressing David. And that happened through uh, God confronting him through the prophet Nathan. And Nathan shared that story about the family having a little lamb, but that greedy rich man came and demanded that lamb to use for a visitor who came. And David heard that and he was so upset because he was a shepherd. He had a shepherd's heart and he said, that man deserves to die for taking that little lamb. And then, and then that statement, Nathan says, you are that man. That hit home to David. The first thing, uh, and, and so here's where we see that first thing that David did that allowed him to come back to God. The first thing he did is he acknowledged his sin. He acknowledged it. When, when it was brought to the light, he had a choice. I mean, he was king. He could have said to, as, as other kings down his line did when a prophet came speaking from the Lord, some of them said, be quiet. Some of them put him into prison. Some of them put him to death. He could have done all of that to try and hide and cover his sin, and he could have kept on going. But that wasn't what David wanted. When, when his sin was brought to the light, he had that realization, I've sinned against God. And he acknowledged it. You know, and so he made a simple statement to, to Nathan. He said, I have sinned. But we can read the full effect of what was going on in his heart in Psalm 51. In verse 3, it says, I acknowledge my transgressions, my sin is before me. And verse four, against you and you only have I sinned. And that's where David realized I've sinned against God in doing this. It wasn't just against a person, it's against God. I've done this evil in your sight that God would be, would be justified and be clear when you judge. And so David gave a clear acknowledgement of his sin when he was brought to the light he didn't try to hide it. He just yielded. And that's really the first step. When, when God reveals something in our life, we will never progress past this step if we don't acknowledge 
and say, okay, Lord, I'm in the wrong. How often, well, let's just say this, it is not in our nature to like to acknowledge that we are wrong. We don't like doing that. We don't like being wrong. We don't like telling people we're wrong. But, you know, when it comes to God in our heart, we have to come to that place. And, and it's not always exposed in front of the congregation, thank God. I mean, it depends on how long we try and hide that. But a lot of times it's just us and God, and we have to say, okay, Lord, this is, there's this area in my heart you're trying to get at, and Lord, I, that needs to change. I need to change. Help me. Or sometimes it might be with other people, and we have to say, look, I'm sorry, I was wrong in that. And how, what I said or how I reacted, there will never be a change until there is an acknowledgement. And, and we also have to be careful in our motive in the acknowledgement you know, some people will say things, but you know they're saying it just so that they can kind of get out of the hard situation that they're in. Someone might say, I'm sorry, just to, so you stop pointing out their error or something. You know, you think about King Saul. When Samuel pointed out his sin, that he didn't destroy the Amalekites, um, you know, and at first he tried to deny it. He said, well, I've, and he said this in 1 Samuel 15, 13, he said, I've performed the commandment of the Lord. And so Samuel said, well, what's the sound of the animals I hear? He should have destroyed them all according to the commandment. And so then he says, it was the people. The people made me do it. And, so, and, and finally, Saul has to come to the place where he, is, he has to acknowledge it. And he said, all right, I've sinned, but honor me before the people. He wasn't being sincere. He was only saying that so he wouldn't look bad in front of the people. It wasn't a true acknowledgement of, of his wrongdoing because of wrong motives. And, and because of that, he could not continue. He was, he was replaced. He couldn't go on. His reign came to an end. You know, it's nat, it, is, it is natural to not want our weaknesses and, and failings exposed and be seen, but it is so necessary that we bring them to the light of God's presence. And whatever that means, most of the time we just acknowledge it to God and he cleanses it as we ask our forgiveness and it's covered by the blood. But sometimes we got to do whatever it takes. If it's against other people, sometimes we have to make that right. And with David, it was against God and the whole country. And it had to be known, you know, but David was willing to do whatever it took. And he said, I have sinned in front of everyone. Proverbs 28.13 says, He that covers his sins shall not prosper, but whoever confesses and forsakes them shall have mercy. But we notice something in that verse that also has to take place. We confess and we acknowledge, and then we forsake. We forsake. And then we're, we're shown mercy. You know, David, he expressed this to the Lord in Psalm 51.7. He said, Purge me with hyssop and I'll be clean. Wash me, I'll be whiter than snow. Create in me a clean heart. O God, renew a right spirit within me. It was verses 7 and 10. He greatly desired to be cleaned, but he knew there was going to be a process of purging, of cleansing in his life. It was not necessarily going to be pleasant or easy, but he was willing to humble himself and do whatever it took to be right with God, to be right in God's sight, to have a clean heart and a right spirit. 
Now, repentance, it, it, it simply means you realize you're going the opposite way of where you should be going. And when you repent, you turn around and you go back the right way. But in that, there's a, a process, right? Because if you go down a wrong, you take a wrong turn, you can't just say, oh, Lord, I'm sorry. And instantly you're on the right path and you're, you're already down the same distance of the road you went. No, you, you, everyone who has ever gone a wrong turn, you realize, oh, well, I got to turn around and go all the way back. Sometimes you can find a, you know, cut through to the right path, but not always. Sometimes you have to go all the way back. You come to the place you got off and then you can start going. And that's a, it's a process of repentance and sometimes of godly sorrow as we're trudging back all the way and that, that, that we went wrong, realizing all the bad decisions. Oh, I did, oh, yeah, I did that too. And it can be sorrowful at times until you get back and then you walk in the right way. You know, the Apostle Paul, he, in his first letter, he had to address the Corinthian church because they were not dealing with sin in the church uh, and he had to confront them. And so he wrote this in his second letter. In 2 Corinthians 7, 9, he said, Now I rejoice, not that you were made sorry in the first letter, but that you sorrowed to repentance. You were made sorrow, sorry after a godly manner uh, that you might receive damage by us in nothing, for godly sorrow works repentance to salvation. Not to be repented of, but the sorrow of the world works death. So Paul had to deal with this church so that sorrow would come in, but not just feeling bad, but godly sorrow. And godly sorrow leads to repentance. And at times when God has to deal with our hearts, he brings us through sor sorrowful experiences or seasons where we our, you know, our sin is just exposed in our eyes or our weakness and what we haven't allowed God to deal with. Now we have to embrace that process of him dealing. We have the choice of embracing it. But David made that choice. He said, Lord, whatever it takes. And, you know, God might reveal something in our lives, in our hearts, maybe a door of influence we didn't even see. And sometimes it just, even though we can say, Lord, I want to change Sometimes it takes an experience of allowing God to work in us and change us. And it can be a season of sorrow, of dealing with, with something in our life until we're set free and then we rejoice at what God's done. Not everyone wants to submit to that. The sorrow of the world, Paul says, leads to death because they seek to avoid the light. They seek to avoid the dealing of, of God. They want to live their best life now and avoid godly sorrow and only live their way. But the end is eternal sorrow. But allowing God to work godly sorrow brings life, spiritual life. And one last thing I, I want to bring out about David's life is, is something in his heart that we can see that kind of kept him going through all of these difficult experiences. I mean, because David had a lot of difficult experiences he had to go through because of the consequences of his sin. In fact, if you count them up, David experienced about 17 judgments or consequences of the sin that affected him and his family and his kingdom. And he had to endure all, all of those things. But yet, in that process, 
there was something that about David that made such a difference. You know, it was that he was able to just set his hope in God, that God was going to meet with him and bring him back to that place. And, and there's a couple of Psalms I want to look at. One is Psalm 40 and verse 1. It's to the chief musician, a Psalm of David, where he says, I have waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined unto me and heard my cry. He brought me up out of a horrible pit and out of the miry clay, and he set my feet upon a rock and established my going. And he hath put a new song in my mouth and even praise unto our God. Many shall see it and fear and trust in the Lord. That kind of sums up David's life after Bathsheba as he had to endure and he had to hope in God and wait patiently for God. But that's a very fruitful thing to do if we can just set our heart upon him. Because if God heard him, and as he waited upon God, God lifted him up out of the horrible pit that he had gotten himself into and then set him upon a rock. Not only that, he gave him a new song. He knew God in a new way as his restorer. And his life became a life of praise. Many saw it and they feared God and trusted in him because he set his hope in God. And, and that's really what sets David apart is he was able to accept the consequence, not just the consequences of his sin, but what God had to do to deal with him in his life to deliver him from that. He was able to hope in God and endure all of those things. And he waited patiently for God to move, to, to incline his heart to him, and to set, bring him out of that pit and set him upon a rock. In that position that he once had, where God he knew God as his fortress, God brought him back to that eventually. Now, Psalm 118 expresses that same hope. This was probably written by King David. In, in verse 18, it says, The Lord has chastened me sore. You know, he knew a long season of God dealing with him to try and correct this and, 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 and restore his reputation. But he has not given me over unto death. Verse 14, it says, The Lord is my strength and song. He has become my salvation. Verse 17, I shall not die but I will live and declare the works of the Lord. Yeah, that was the heart of David. He was able to look past the chastening and the difficult season, the dealing, the time of cleansing and so forth, and place his hope in God to see the goodness of God, that he would experience it in the land of the living. And because, and because ultimately he loved God. Right? David loved God. He loved his ways, even though he had made mistakes. And he wanted God more than walking in any other way. And really, hope is rooted in love because we believe that God loves us. If, we can, if we're hoping in him, it's because we believe God loves us and we love him. I want to just kind of close off with a quote I read by, by Dr. Brian Bailey in his book on David and Solomon. It kind of really jumped out at me. It's, and he said this about David, about how David was restored. And he said, God is not capricious. There is always a reason for one receiving mercy and not another. 
In my many years in the ministry, I have known David's and Saul's, Jacob's and Esau's, and there is a difference between them. The true have an innate love of righteousness, which the false do not. This we see in David. You know, David loved God. He loved righteousness, even though he wasn't perfect. And, but he hoped, he loved and hoped in God. And this greatly aided him to get through the process of God dealing with him, of repentance and restoration. But David was ultimately restored. And you might say he came to a place that was greater than where he was before because, you know, he, he got the vision and the pattern for the tabernacle. He prepared all of the materials, you know, the, the stones, the pillar the, or the wood uh, and the gold and silver and so forth. He, he set that all up and prepared it so his son Solomon could build that. We also know from you know, the Old Testament prophets that, it's, that David will also come back as the prince over Israel in the millennium and he'll rule over Israel as a prince. But then also the ultimate was, was what God said of him in Acts. He's a man after my own heart who did all my will. And so even though in this horrible experience that David went through in his life, we can still see him as a role model because he, he got himself into a pit, but he was, able, he was able to follow God out of it because he hoped in God and he trusted in God. And he allowed that process of repentance to take place when God revealed his light, he shone his light upon his heart, he responded and followed God. And because of that, he's a role model for us. And it's so important in our day because God is testing hearts. God is revealing things that, you know, I think we didn't even realize was there because he's testing the nations. He's preparing the nations of the earth for the last days exposing things and bringing us because he wants to bring us into the light. But yet if there's things there, they got to be dealt with before he shines the full light of his glory. And so it's so important that we cry out to God, Lord, do whatever it takes in my life. Do whatever it takes in my heart that, that everything will be in the light. That you can prepare me for the light of your glory and revival. Deal with me. Cleanse me, create in me a clean heart and an upright spirit that is acceptable in your sight. Father, we just thank you. Thank you for your blood, the blood of your son, and thank you for your plan and your purpose. Thank you for your ways that are good. And Lord, we just come to you, Lord. We just cry out to you as we see how David was able to meet with you in his horrible pit. And you brought him out and you set him upon a rock. Lord, we pray, Lord, first off, that we would learn from that and avoid, Lord, the mistakes that we see in the lives of those in Scripture and around us, Lord, that we would take heed and warning. And Lord, allow you to come in and deal with and work, Lord. And we just cry out to you. Oh, search us and try us and find those ways in us. Expose us, Lord. Let every part of us be in the light of your presence. Oh, Lord, and if there's something that has to be dealt with, Lord, we just pray, Lord, do whatever it takes. Bring us to the light, Lord, and lead us. Lord, if we have to go through a season of, of your working, Lord, or even repentance, God, do it. 
we pray, we just submit to you, we cry out to you that you would work as only you can. Oh Lord, make us ready for the light of your presence and your glory, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you.